Lifeway Leadership Podcast Network. You're listening to the Five Leadership Questions Podcast. I'm your host, Todd Atkins. And today I'm here with Chandler Benoit. Hey, hey. And a guest who's been on here, I don't know, this is probably third or fourth time. This is uh, Mr. Leonce Crump. How are you? Live from Atlanta. And I don't know what room he is in his house. I'm in my guest room. <laughs> uh, I, um, I fled my children's room and I'm now in the living room. There you go. So uh, if you if you don't know uh, who Leonce is, uh, he is the pastor of Renovation Church in Atlanta. Uh, and you've probably been to a conference where we where he's spoken. Um, and then he also wrote a book um, with Matt Chandler called Changing Who uh, Renovate. And it's about changing who you are by loving where you are. And, you know, I think that is is something that's really relevant right now um, because we're kind of all. <laughs> right where we are <laughs> and we can't go anywhere else. Uh, so we're stuck with ourselves. So we may as well uh, change who we are. <laughs> Very true. Leonce, what is, uh, what is lockdown been like for you down in Atlanta, Georgia? Yeah. Um, you know, we, we made the pivot pretty quickly. So I, I think the first digital gathering we did would have been March 15th or whatever Sunday that was. Um, I was talking to a couple of our missionaries in France, uh, a couple of friends I have in Italy and friends in Seattle. And they're like, hey, this is a lot worse than what is being presented. Uh, and it'd be good for you guys to go ahead and pivot now. And so, you know, got with our leadership team, prayed and decided to make that pivot. So we've been in a general state of lockdown since mid-March uh, as a family. Also, my, my wife is immunocompromised. Uh, she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis at 19. And so uh, we didn't want to take any chances uh, with her health. My younger brother is fighting cancer right now. My father has uh, cancer that is in remission and, and he and my mother are aged. Uh, so we had a lot of reasons to really try and follow the data and follow the medical guidelines. And, and by and large, uh, this has not been a bad experience. In fact, um, I was sharing with our team and uh, I put out an IGTV video a couple of weeks ago at, that the Lord has just been reminding me of all the redemptive threads uh, that are surfacing through this time, uh, how rushed I was, how busy I was, things that I was missing uh, because um, I was always moving from one thing to the next. And so uh, it's actually been a great uh, opportunity for me to recalibrate as a father and as a husband uh, and as a leader uh, and a great time for our family to recalibrate as a whole. What's been, uh, you know, as a church, what's one story that, man, you just that has happened, you know, out of your church, one ministry moment um, that you might, you know, share with us? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I think one of the, the coolest opportunities that have surfaced during this time um, is our opportunity to provide rent assistance um, for several apartment communities uh, with uh, people who were the first to either be furloughed or they were not able to start new jobs. Uh, but people who are considered non-essential workers, because many of them are blue collar workers or uh, um, service industry workers or other uh, less than ideal 
jobs that were immediately pushed to the back burner and and they were worried about making ends meet. And we just watched our church rise to that moment uh, in spite of, you know, whatever pressing uh, financial hurdles may be in front of us as a church or them as individuals. They rose to that moment and they met that need. And there have been several other opportunities like that ever since we started uh, where our church has been more generous through the difficulty uh, than I possibly could have ever imagined. And it's really been beautiful. So is your church, you know, I, I know your church fairly well uh, because your leadership team came to a, a pipeline, um, a leadership pipeline coaching and, and a couple other pipeline events. You spoke at our, our uh, pipeline conference and I got, I got to know your team a little bit. And you have a really young team and a really young church. So how has how has that uh, affected you? Because as soon as you said, you know, this is what we've been able to do. This is the way we've been able to minister it just immediately, you know, clicked to me. Oh, we're talking about a majority millennial church. Is that still is that still the case? Majority millennial and and zennial. <laughs> uh, yes, that is that is still the case. Uh, we are still an extraordinarily young church and still an extraordinarily young team. I mean, I'm the uh, I'm kind of the senior statesman, uh, and I haven't cracked forty yet. Uh, right. So, so I've been I've been pretty blown away uh, at the way that they have leaned in, but. Part of that, I think, is because, you know, many of them are also digital natives. And so, yeah. you know, 85 percent of our giving was already online before, you know, 85 to 90 percent before this event took place. So we didn't have to have a big pivot toward trying to get people to give online. Uh, we were already doing quite a bit of digital engagement in different mediums. And so it wasn't that big a pivot to move toward digital small groups and to move uh, toward digital growth track classes and, and, and to expand our digital world. Uh, and I feel for the most part, uh, our church just pivoted right along with the leadership team. And so uh, I've been really impressed, man. You know, we definitely miss being with each other and being physically together, but the way that they have leaned into the season has, has really blown me away. Man, it's great to hear. It's a well-known fact that planting churches and campuses is the most effective way of reaching the lost. And launching in a rented venue like a school or a theater is one of the most cost-effective ways to launch a new church. So if you're planning to launch a church or a campus and trying to figure out how to do that really well in a rented space, we encourage you to check out our friends at Portable Church. The team at Portable Church Industries takes your vision and creates engaging environments around it that keep volunteer retention high and allow more energy to be spent on ministry. So go to portablechurch.com slash lifeway to learn more and to find free customized resources that teach you how to launch portable and launch strong. Well, let's, let's hop into our five leadership questions here. And since you've been on a few times, we're going to go with our, our second set. And then the first question is this, is what is a conflict or failure that has benefited you in your leadership? <laughs> How relevant. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> you know, uh, last year was the hardest year ministerially of my life. Um, hmm. 2019 was, and I, I can't go into too many details because uh, this is a public medium and, uh, and I want to, you know, protect uh, all parties involved, but suffice it to say, we had a significant disruption at a couple of levels of leadership um, that we had to weather for the better part of a year. And uh, I think I was significantly impacted in a number of ways, but, but the one that I think surfaced the most uh, was an increase in vulnerability. Uh, you know, I just, uh, and many of us did, uh, we just lost Dr. Darren Patrick and, um, he was a brother to me, an older brother, uh, a mentor, a friend. Uh, he walked alongside of me for the better part of a decade. He introduced me to the Enneagram and uh, all of this is going somewhere. And I'm an Enneagram eight, uh, surprise, surprise, uh, wing seven. And me too. <laughs> um, exactly that. I'm not surprised by that either. And, <laughs> but the path to wholeness for an Enneagram eight is through vulnerability because, uh, and you, maybe you've heard Dr. Patrick say this, but your Myers-Briggs is about your wiring and your Enneagram is about your wounding. So your Enneagram is the person you felt you had to become to navigate your world as you were developing. And so eights are usually developed through conflict, uh, through trial, uh, through injustice. You know, they feel misrepresented or misheard or run over. Uh, and, and that is where they begin to develop that, uh, uh, that relentless exterior that is actually coding a very, very sensitive interior. And I think, Todd, you can probably speak to that. Um, and there are very few people that get to see that interior, but a part of healing and wholeness for the Enneagram eight is, is a path of vulnerability. And so I would say, you know, last year's conflict, uh, forced me into a place of exposure and vulnerability that has made me a better leader. It hasn't taken away any of my tenacity. Uh, um, you know, I, I think most people would still consider me kind of a force when I enter the room, even though I'm not always cognizant of how much space I'm taking up. Uh, that's also been a part of the learning. Um, but, but there's a different vulnerability that my team, uh, my wife, my children, uh, our overseers have all said they've seen surface through that conflict. And, uh, and, and I think it changed me in a fundamental way and, and really will, ultimately reshape the culture of our church. Well, Leonce, thanks for, thanks for sharing that. Um, I mean, just even in that we can, we can hear your vulnerability coming out. And I know that's something that you just shared that you, you learned over the past year and you're going to continue to learn. And I know for myself and a lot of those listening really resonate with that. And just as you mentioned, this has kind of been a season where we are seeing, uh, you know, we've lost, those in the pastoral um, role across, you know, different areas. And we've lost a few friends. I know you have recently. Um, what would you share with those? Because I think vulnerability, we as pastors and leaders, you don't want to show that. You want to show that you have it all together. But I mean, that's clearly in scripture. We see that we're supposed to admit our weakness and we're supposed to 
bear one another burdens, but a lot of times leaders and pastors don't want to share their burdens and what they're dealing with with others. So what would you share with maybe somebody listening who they hear that and go, I don't want to be vulnerable. How would you share to take some steps to step into that? I think the first big step, Chandler, is to find safe places to be vulnerable. Um, so, you know, uh, pipeline, very impactful for me. And I remember Todd saying every leader should have a coach. Remember that, Todd? Yeah. Every leader should have a coach. Uh, I also think every leader should have a counselor. And and I think it's an underutilized resource, uh, particularly for ministry leaders, because if, if we're honest, a part of the reason most pastors are not vulnerable is because they want to look like they have it all together. But part, a big part of the reason they want to look like they have it all together is because that's the pressure and expectation hmm. uh, that, you know, out here in the pew uh, or even further down the leadership team or, or on your elder team, if you have elders, um, you know, he can struggle with anger. She can struggle with frustration. She can struggle with fear. He can struggle with lust. The pastor, you know, even if we have, even if we have a plurality of leadership, there's still a pastor, no matter what anybody says. Uh, and I remember having this conversation with Jeff Anderson years ago and he's like, yeah, we're, you know, um, Soma is completely flat. And I said, Jeff, I respect you. I love you. You're one of my favorite leaders, one of the most brilliant people I've ever met. But that's just not true because I was in a meeting with you and your team and you may be flat on the org chart. But when Jeff speaks, the whole room turns toward him. And that puts you at the tip of the spear, even if it's only a part of a spear. And because we occupy that space, particularly as senior leaders, and I think it trickles down into into um, most every other pastoral leadership position, but particularly as senior leaders, there are not a lot of spaces for us to be vulnerable. And so we carry secret pain, we carry secret sin, we carry secret depression, uh, we carry secret fears, we carry secret anxieties. Uh, and if we're not careful, those things consume us. And on one end of that consumption, you have Jared Wilson, uh, you have um, uh, uh, Dr. Patrick uh, that ultimately end in tragic, tragic losses. And on the other side of that consumption, you have men and, and some women, but mostly men who blow their lives up in dramatic ways, uh, acting in ways that are not indicative of even the character you've come to know of them, but they're blowing themselves up because they feel like it's the only escape hatch. Uh, out of the consuming pressure of performing at all times. And then you have a middle path uh, of guys who I've seen, you know, some of my mentors, they've been pastoring 20, 30, 40 years, and they haven't been happy uh, or joy filled for half of that. They're just gritting their teeth and bearing the burden of ministry and trying to finish well without destroying themselves or blowing up their lives. And none of those are, are healthy options. And so, I, you know, I think the first advice that I would give that was a long way around to to what I guess would be a more simple answer is ensure that you put yourself in a position uh, with people in which you can be vulnerable, in which you can be your whole self uncensored. Uh, everybody doesn't need to know everything. 
but somebody needs to know everything. And the people you need, the people you lead need to know some things so that they know that you are both sheep and shepherd and, and not uh, Teflon. Things stick to you as well. And, and they need to know that, that you need the gospel of grace and you need the power of the spirit and you need the hope of the father as much as anybody else in the room at any given time. Hmm. And I, th- I think we were even talking to, before we hit record on this, just the the expectations of, you know, I think we even used air quotes of celebrity pastor culture. And it's just, it's always going to end if we're, if we're raising men and women up on a pedestal, we are never going to hit that expectation. So I, I really appreciate your answer there, Leonce. And if you're listening to this and you feel that is something with inside you that you you feel like you haven't been able to be vulnerable, I would just, you know, take Leonce's advice and seek out some help and, and be able to share that with somebody that you trust. So thank you for that, Leonce. And Chandler, the, the one thing I would add is, yeah, we were talking about celebrity culture, celebrity pastor culture as well and that whole machine. Um, but, but just for the sake of those who are listening, uh, there are guys that I, that I pastor, you know, every pastor needs a pastor, a counselor and a coach <laughs> and, uh, and a friend. All right. Those are four relationships that I believe every ministry leader needs friend, coach, counselor, pastor. And there are guys that I pastor that are pastoring churches of a hundred that still feel this same thing. Uh, they are still there. It may be fewer people, but they're still under a microscope. And, and honestly, in a smaller church, it may be even worse <laughs> because uh, because there's less dilution of that same sense of expectation. That's good. That's good. Helpful. That's really good. And, and the crazy thing is, uh, you know, as church leaders, we are kind of all part of that machine as well. Yep. And if we don't, if we don't check ourselves well, no matter where we are, you know, what perceived level of, you know, ministry we're in or, or, or whatever, we can just as easily with our own wounding come back and chew up the guys that, that have been outed. That's right. And we've seen it happen, haven't we, Todd? We have. And that's, you know, that's part of the issue and part of the problem. Uh, and and it, we have to get ourselves, we have to get ourselves straight. You know, uh, also before the podcast, uh, we were uh, having some vulnerable moments with each other. And I said, um, you know, uh, yesterday, my wife asked me why I had been down stairs, you know, twice before lunch because she's used to me. Some days I don't even eat lunch. They don't see me until the evening almost um, lately. And that's because uh, we had recorded a podcast the day before with Kevin Peck and Kevin Peck. I was, you know, waxing on, hey, if you've got issues, this is going to bring them out of you uh, in a deeper in a deeper way. And Peck says, yes. If the first example he gave was, if you're a workaholic, you're only going to become more of a workaholic. <laughs> and uh, like, it just wouldn't leave me all that the rest of that day. Uh, and, you know, that 
yes, I am spending maybe a little more time with my kids than normal, but I'm not taking advantage of this opportunity in their lives um, or in my own life to slow down. If I don't emerge uh, a healthier version of who I am, if I don't emerge out of this with a healthier version of who I am as an, as a, as a person, as uh, a pastor, as a, a pastor of my own home uh, is what I mean there, then I, I don't know if I ever will. And so the big thing for me was, ah, this is a great wake up call on my own propensity to say, okay, I've got to crank out, you know, more resources for pastors or one more framework or one more thing to help this church or that church. And I can easily, you know, neglect my, my first job. Um, so I don't know. That's right. I think that's the word though, man, is <clears throat> if we're seeing this as a disruption to be waited out until we can return back to whatever we thought normal was, we are missing it. We are missing it. Okay. This was a disruption so that we could step back and reevaluate and recalibrate, which is what I hear you're saying that you're doing, Todd, because it's, you're right, man. If we come out the other side of this more tired, more ragged, more rundown, because we've just pivoted our physical busyness to a digital world and we come out of this less connected to our children and less connected to ourselves and less connected to our spouses and less connected to Jesus, this has been a total failure. And, and it's been a total uh, uh, um, misappropriation of what could have been a redemptive moment. Mm. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Well, well, I don't know whether to go back to the questions. <laughs> I know, right? Sorry, sorry, guys. Sorry, my bad. Good. Um, I'll, I'll head back into I'll head back into our our questions, and I, I may skip down one um, to what do you want your legacy to be? Because I think that's a really important question. I mean, we you know Leon's and I both have four children. Um, and that's a part of it, but it's also those people that, that we serve alongside. Um, what, what do you want your legacy to be, Leons? So I, I will kind of break that into, into three categories. Um, my primary legacy I want to be through my children, um, that they love the Lord more because I was their father and that they felt seen and known uh, and loved because I was their father. And I'm going to fail at that uh, on a daily basis. And I do, but it really is the desire of my heart uh, because everybody, everybody uh, was put in this world to be seen and known and loved. Uh, and it starts in the home. Uh, and all of our adult dysfunctions are reverberations of one of those three things not happening or all three of those things not happening. Uh, I want my legacy within my, my vocation uh, to live through the disciples that I make and multiply. Um, if, if, you know, my impact dies with me, 
that I failed as a leader because I was a doer and I wasn't an equipper. And Ephesians 4 calls me to equip the saints for ministry, not to accomplish great feats uh, and then have them all dry up on the vine uh, after I'm out of the way. You know, I, I said this in one of the five LQs before. Um, I'm always looking for a way to work myself out of a job. Always. Sometimes healthily or, or most times healthily, sometimes unhealthily. But but that really I, every day I wake up and I, and I try to figure out a way to give somebody something that I think is ready to run with it. And one day I'll be able to give away all of it. And and I want that to be a part of my legacy is is he was always opening doors. He was always mining potential. He was always trying to multiply himself through other people. It was never about his name. It was about the name and the fame of the Lord multiplied through other people. And then lastly, uh, in the church, and and this is going to sound insane, uh, and it sounds insane even saying it out loud, uh, (laughs) um, but I want to fundamentally shift and be a part of fundamentally shifting um, the way that the church approaches the public square uh, and the breadth of the gospel and its implications for justice and mercy uh, and systemic oppression and things that uh, that were lost in the verticalization of the gospel that became a part of a private relationship with Jesus and ensuring that you had your get out of hell free card. Uh, we forgot about all of the horizontal reverberations and implications of the gospel. And if I can spend my life pushing the church back toward that fuller expression, then I feel like I will have done what the Lord asked me to do. One aspect of that, Leon, so I remember talking with with you about, uh, it might have been at the Pipeline Conference, talking with you and your team, you were talking about the way that you you all use language even in your church. Um, I think we were talking about volunteers, and you guys use the word ambassador. Do you guys still use that terminology? We sure do. So what I'm hearing you say is, not even for the volunteer, but seeing yourself as an ambassador of Christ in every aspect of life can you, can you kind of explain not only for the volunteer, but kind of what you see that being outside the church as well, a little bit more? Yeah, uh, it, it is. It is Augustinian. It's not original to me. Uh, it, it's an Augustinian posture that the role of the Christian <clears throat> is not to to be an end unto ourselves Uh, or even an end unto our personal or corporate worship of God. But it is to be an end unto transforming uh, the environs in which we find ourselves. And so whether I'm standing in the pulpit or running for political office, I am an ambassador for Christ. And that should shape my posture. It should shape my language. It should shape my positioning. It, It should shape... Uh, how I engage adversaries, if, if I indeed have them. Uh, it should shape uh, how I structure my financial position, whether I take a raise or not. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm going to take a big raise, you know, in the corporate environment, if I'm going to take a big raise, but I know it's going to increase 
uh, the the hourly output by 20 hours a week and, and push me up to work in 60 or 70 hours, which pulls me away from my home and away from my family and away from my opportunity uh, to commune with the church. And I have to reconsider those things. So being an ambassador of Christ becomes your primary identity and everything else works through that filter. Uh, and there will be rubs and frictions that arise uh, when you choose that posture. And those will be the moments where we have to depend on the spirit to direct us in the way that allows us to remain authentically <clears throat> an ambassador of Christ. And, and, and that is from the parking lot to the pew, to the pulpit, to public office, to, you know, to professor, to, to CEO of a for-profit or nonprofit company. It, it all remains the same. You know, to follow up on that, we normally ask the question of what habit do you focus on to continue to learn as a leader? And I'd love to hear a little bit of that as well. But what what habits or practices do you focus on so that you can continue to grow as that type of ambassador and disciple as, as well as a leader? Yeah, um, <clears throat> I feel like the, the spiritual disciplines are kind of a lost art in most of our circles. Um, you know, I, I uh, to give you an example, um, I preached on meditation a couple of years ago and I had some folks really freak out. <laughs> I'm sure. Meditation, meditation. What, what kind of, you already talking about doing yoga. Now you're meditating. What, you know, and I had to explain to them that meditation began as a uniquely Christian practice. And it is not about emptying the mind. It is about filling the mind with truths about who God is uh, and, and what God does. And, uh, and so I, I think we've kind of lost the art of spiritual discipline, silences. And, and, and uh, Pete covers all of this stuff beautifully in emotionally healthy uh, uh, spirituality. And, and I think even more beautifully in emotionally healthy leadership. Um, but silence, solitude, Sabbath, uh, meditation, prayer and worship, uh, uh, communing, you know, uh, with, with other believers who give life and speak life. You know, Proverbs says that the power of life and death is in the tongue. Uh, so you put yourself in the presence of people who speak life and, and to whom you can speak life. Uh, those are ways that, that I feed my inner man so that he is expressed in my outer man. And, and so from my inner man to my outer man, to answer your question, Chandler, you know, the, the other thing I do is try and put myself in positions to, to be an ambassador for Christ uh, beyond what would be expected of me. And, and so I put myself in relationship with antagonistic and adversarial people, atheistic people. Uh, and I look for opportunities uh, to show kindness and to share the gospel uh, every time I leave the house. Uh, and when I'm fearful or when I'm nervous or, or when I'm selfish or when I'm tired, uh, I ask the spirit to strengthen me and to bolster me. And when I don't do those things, uh, then I find myself during my meditation time or my prayer time, asking the Lord to forgive me and to, and to help me reflect him better the next time. And so it, it's just a cyclical process of uh, commiserating with the spirit to build up the inner man so that the outer man is reflective of that uh, and, and then walking it out. 
you know, just walking it out. Hmm. Hearing you talk about Pete Scazzaro's book, Emotionally Healthy Leader and Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Those are just two, for me, it was foundational. I read those the past two years and they just really flipped the idea of what it, you know, how to focus on your, your spiritual, your emotionally healthy spirituality. But it comes back to what you were saying. Another book I would recommend on the spiritual disciplines is Spiritual Disciplines for the Christian Life by Don Whitney. And I just think we were talking about this previously. This is a disruption. I think we've talked about that organizationally, and we might have talked about this on the last podcast as well. But it's also a disruption for us personally. And I know we've already talked about this, but especially I have found that you can't really say I don't have the time right now (laughs) because there's not much else on your calendar. So just hearing you talk about that, Leon, I'm convicted myself and I'm sure the listeners will be as well to really focus on the spiritual disciplines during this time so that on the other side of whatever this indefinite time period is, that we have built those habits and practices into our rhythm in life so that we do come out stronger on the other side. Yeah. And can I recommend two additional resources? Um, yeah, absolutely. Celebration of Discipline by yes. Rick Foster is gold. Absolute gold. gold. Um, and then there's an app called uh, Abide that, um, that leads you through Christian meditations. Uh, that I've found extraordinarily helpful. And so I open and close my day with the Abide app as well. Uh, And it's basically someone reading, you know, reading scripture and then challenging you with some questions around that scripture, calling you to pray and meditate on that scripture uh, while there's hymns or, you know, bubbling brooks or something else playing behind it. But it, it is a really, really excellent resource. And so, you know, um, I, I think um, most people need routines. And one of the things that could be lost in this time is, is you know, a lot of us aren't living uh, busy schedules. So we've also abandoned routines. Uh, but I think it's healthy and right to have a routine. And so part of my routine, you know, I, and my wife as well, we get up, uh, she leaves, goes downstairs to have her time with the Lord. Uh, I lay there for a moment in silence and, and really just try to listen uh, for what the Lord might say. Uh, and then I get up, uh, throw on some sweats, make the bed. Uh, you know, uh, that's what I do every day. I make the bed. That's a part of my routine. And while I make the bed, I listen and try and discern the voice of the Lord. And then I make my way downstairs and I pour a cup of coffee and I step out on my porch and I watch the sunrise while I listen to the Abide app. And that triggers the cycle of growth uh, and the cycle of work on myself uh, in this process to be a better man and a better leader. And the routine helps to anchor that rhythm. You know, so, you know, if you don't like the word routine because you're an Enneagram 7 and you just want to party, (laughs) think of it as a rhythm. It's a dance. Right. So it's a it's a spiritual and emotional and mental dance that you're doing every single day and trying to stay in rhythm with God and with yourself and with the people around you. You know, I want to I want to say two things um, to kind of tack on to what Leon's just said here. One is celebration of disciplines with foster is is absolutely amazing because it effectively will do a little bit of what Leon said uh, earlier in the importance of introducing you to people that you disagree with. <laughs> yep. um, 
but also seeing that their perspective, I mean, you know, um, your theology may not jive and probably won't with Julian of Norwich, but, um, you know, hearing something that, um, you know, that, that, that she wrote, uh, still is going to trigger some type of growth or development or thought that you may not have, that you may not have had otherwise. So I think that's important. And that's a great book. I actually haven't looked at it in years, but as soon as you said it, I was like, I remember how formative that was. And I was at Southern and uh, when I was, you know, going through seminary and I can remember people saying, why are you reading? Like, why would you read that? Uh (laughs) Um, (laughs) But anyway, um, the other thing is, Several weeks back now, we did an interview with uh, with Levi Lesko, and he was talking about, you know, the importance of spiritual disciplines and stuff. But there was one very subtle thing that he said that he does that that has kind of really stuck with me. And this kind of reminds me of that as well. And that is at the end of it. I mean, he he um, has like a dry sauna uh, back behind his house. And he's like, you know, he made sure that everybody understand it's not like. He, he does. He's not a like celebrity celebrity or anything. Uh, he ordered offline and built it himself. Yeah, that man is. If that man want to have a sauna, that's all right. As long as he's generous. <laughs> no, no, no. Here's what's really important. Here's, here's what he did. Um, he said, and I joked about uh, going into my uh, laundry room and opening, you know, taking the door off the dryer if I was going to do something. Like <laughs> stick with me, guys. Here's the big thing. He said he gets in that hot sauna, does meditation, stuff like that. And then he drops himself in a, and he's, you know, he's upper Pacific Northwest. uh, So it's already cold. He drops himself in a bucket, uh, in a horse trough kind of of ice water. So he'll take a bucket of ice and throw it in there. And then he gets in it. And he does that to remind himself that he has a choice that he can force himself to do things that he doesn't want to do and that he's capable of doing it. So whatever, you know, whatever is being um, brought up in those times of the Lord or, you know, whatever it is you're repenting from or uh, all of those things that may seem like insurmountable, whether it's, you know, something he's asking you to do or something you don't think you, you can give up or do that going through that cycle and doing it every day is just a reminder. Hey, I can force my myself to do things that I know I need to do um, that, that seem insurmountable. So I just wanted to bring that into that conversation as well um, because, you know, a lot of times we don't want to practice silence because we don't like what, we're going to hear in the silence. So it's just easier to have an avoidance strategy to some disciplines. It's much easier to check off the ones that, you know, everybody kind of talks about all the time. Oh yeah, I can check off prayer and I can check off even scripture reading, even though God's word is living and active and it cuts like a double-edged sword. I can still safely um, check some of those boxes. Whereas if I'm doing that in the context of silence and solitude, it's really hard not to be moved by God and not to have to be forced to examine yourself 
Um, and that's what we really need to do as leaders. That's right. Well, Leon, let's move to the last question here. And it is simply this. What is the best piece of leadership advice you have ever been given? You are not the sum of your last worst decision. Hmm. We can just let that sit there. Yeah. You are not the sum of your last worst decision. Um, there's a lot of risk involved in leadership and a lot of immobility for fear of failure. But you're going to fail. You're going to fail. Um, but that does not determine or define the scope, breadth, or depth of your leadership. You are not the sum of your last worst decision. Man, and so many pastors need to hear that right now in this specific time because of what we talked about uh, earlier about there's so many uncertainties and you are not going to make. There's going to be some decisions that you make that in hindsight, you know, may not be great ones. They're going to be terrible decisions. <laughs> there's some encouragement. They're going to be Terrible decisions, <clears throat> but that's okay. Yeah. That is all right. Because you're not the first leader to make them and you won't be the last, you know? And um, it, they may not cost you the promised land, <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> so it's okay. Right. It's okay. And they may cost you the promised land, but as long as they don't cost you the Lord, then it's all right. Uh, as always, uh, Leon, so we've just really enjoyed um, our conversation today. And, you know, in particular, uh, talking about being vulnerable and actually being vulnerable um, on our podcast. Thank you so much for doing that. I know it's going to be really helpful for pastors and other church leaders that are, that are listening. So thank you so much for being here and um, look forward to having you back on in the future. Well, as always, uh, it was a joy uh, to spend some time with you, brother. So thank you for the opportunity uh, to uh, to share my heart. Thanks, Leon.